My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions, and thanks so much for being here with us. This week on the show, which brings our 2023 season to a close, I'm joined by Matt Worth of RVNG, or Revenge, to discuss the life and multidimensional sound worlds of Pauline Anna Strong. This month, the label released Echoes, Spaces, Lines which collects the first three albums from the Bay Area synthesist and composer, including Transmillennia Consort, Plot Zero, and Spectre, as well as Oceans of Time, an unreleased record included in this box set for the very first time. An energy worker, reptile enthusiast, and imagination specialist, Anna Strom's work continues to gleam after her passing in 2020. Home to releases by Sensations Fix, Craig Leon, Holly Herndon, Kay Lemer, just to name a few favorites among many more, RVNG is one of the most exciting reissues slash new music labels going, and it was a real treat to connect with Matt to discuss his time with Pauline and her unique and singular musical path. Before we roll tape, I just want to reiterate how much it means to have listeners like yourself tuned in. Looking back over our 2023 shows, I am pleased to see how much ground we covered, with artists like Mark Rabot, Vashti Bunyan, Mac DeMarco, ambient country trio Sus, and members of Yola Tango, Big Thief, Radiohead, among many more. Along the way, we made room for the mystical, and questions focused on, as usual, the unique ways music allows us to fold time in on itself or create extra space when we need it, space to process, decompress, explore, or whatever else life might require. And let's not forget our first ever live episode, uh, Transmissions Live, recorded on stage with Matt Marble of the American Museum of Paramusicology, where we discuss the esoteric influences of Arthur Russell at the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles. And of course, we had J. Kelly Davis's No Way Out, an oral history of freak rock pioneers, sunburned hand of the man, which appeared in our podcast feed alongside the main show. It's an incredible listen, a deep dive on the underbelly of the new weird America scene, and hopefully it helps to expand your notion of what kind of podcast Aquarium Drunkard may present in the future. I want to thank all of the folks who helped out with this season, including Daryl Norson, Thomas Wilson, Dakota Brown, and Ian Everett, all who helped out with our art. And of course, we want to thank Andrew Horton, who edits our interviews and gets them sounding so good. Thanks, Andrew. Along with Andrew, I want to thank Frank Mastin. He deserves a shout out. Uh, Frank's songs, his music has been a great agent of cohesion on the podcast this season and it really helped to tie all of the episodes together. Thanks so much, Frank, for letting us use your beautiful music throughout the show. We also want to thank our friends at TalkHouse Podcast Network, Keenan Cush and Ian Wheeler, 
Uh, their help and dedication is appreciated week in and week out. So thank you all. And thanks to everybody at the Talk House, including all of our friends who have great podcasts there as well. And to close, I need to thank Justin Gage, of course, who founded Aquarium Drunkard way back in 2005. While the internet looks a lot different now than it did then, thankfully, Aquarium Drunkard remains what it is and was, only the good shit presented by people who give a shit. If you want to be included among our number, here's the best way to support what we do. Hit up Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. By pledging your support there, you can help us continue this ever-growing, ever-expanding musical project. Okay, here's my conversation with Matt Worth. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions. We're discussing the music of Pauline Anna Strom, and you're going to hear a little of it before we roll tape and let the conversation take us out. Matt, thanks so much for being with us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Over the year, over the years, Revenge has released so many albums and collections that have rocked my world. So I'm really excited to get the chance to to hang out with you. Yeah, it's nice to finally put some a uh, voice to voice. Uh, although having heard yours on the podcast, uh, I guess this is more of a curve for you (laughs) (laughs) well i've i've listened to your voice on podcasts as well um but um but this is the first time you've been on this one although again over the last couple years when i when i really reflect on who has been putting out incredible archival material and and helping to shine a light on underrepresented stories revenge has just been has been awesome. I often will call it RVNG. Uh, do you do you get people asking you frequently what's right when it comes to pronunciation? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a terrible uh, naming decision <laughs> when it was when it was named. So kind of dealing with that repercussion, <laughs> or because it'd be R P R C S S N. Yeah, it was just. It, yeah, so I'm 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 happy to go either way, revenge or RVNG, which I usually uh, which I usually say. What was the what was the the impetus for the name? I mean, in one sense, especially when we're talking about 
somebody like Pauline Anna Strom, whose music we've gathered to talk about this new collection, Echoes Space Lines, which bundles together a bunch of uh, her albums. But in the case of somebody like that, there is a, a certain kind of like uh, revenge quality, right? To the fact that while her music was appreciated by people in her lifetime uh, and when she originally released it, um, it wasn't a lot of people. And so, you know, I wonder when you talk about what, what was the impetus for calling it revenge? Uh, well, I'm a very vengeful person, <laughs> as you can probably tell by my uh, demeanor. Your demeanor <laughs> has always been so aggressive and so, uh, exactly. and so, and so focused on, uh, yeah, rest, you know, restitution or whatever. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I'm just here to, to take them all down. Um, it was kind of a provocative solution while coming up with a name for uh, a company that uh, I started with a friend, Dave P in, in Philadelphia, when I, I lived there in the early, very early 2000s. Uh, and Revenge was actually at first um, kind of a party, uh, party promotion company. Sure. Uh, so it uh we were we all loved primal screams experiminator and um yeah that was very it, it was kind of i guess ahead of the uh anti-vowel movement um <laughs> yeah <laughs> that yeah unfortunately remains kind of uh, uh prescient today um so yeah uh I'm, I'm i'm living with it i do love the idea of uh uh, I, I, I like the connotation of, of revenge with archival uh, uh, releases and an artist getting theirs. Yeah, um, yeah. That's I, I like. I, I like that. That's but it, it's it still has a, a softness ar ar around it. Maybe with the right kind of revenge. They say live, living right. well is the best revenge, and having your art recognized uh, eventually is, of course. Yeah, it's funny to even think about it in those terms. Um, but the specific release that that we're talking about is is Echoes Space Lines, and I wanted to start off by. Basically, uh, uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you first connected with Pauline's music. Uh, it's incredible stuff, and uh, her interview with Sadie Sartini-Garner for Aquarium Drunkard a few years back has long been one of my favorites. And so I'm curious how you first connected with, with Pauline's music. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh Back back in the early day of uh, internet blogging, there was a great site called Waxidermy um, that kind of uh, explored fringe music um, and would post uh, private press LPs and uh, oddities, um, and also had like a very vibrant forum where a lot of um, a lot of us kind of convened and swap stories and wish lists of, of, of records, but they were one of the very first sites to feature Pauline's music. Um, her, her first album, uh, trans millennia consort, which was actually the name that she made music under. Um, right. And yeah, this was, uh, you know, the, the, the days of waxidermy and mutant sounds and a lot of great, 
strange music making its way to the internet. And um, I think I, I, I actually know that that's the first place that I saw Pauline's music. And uh, because there, it wasn't mentioned anywhere else online. And um, just the gravity of the artwork of Transmillennia Consort kind of sucked me in. I was already on my path with uh, new age and ambient music, but kind of more in the German uh, Cosmisch uh, sector and hadn't gone too far into the American uh, private press world of, of new age and ambient music. So that interest um, in ambient Cosmisch music and this cover just like immediately zapped my brain and um yeah it was it was love at first at first click on the yeah on the, on the mp3 you know it's funny because waxidermy is one of those places where you're right like it was such this it was this great moment where it's not like the internet was brand new uh the internet had existed for a while but people were really figuring out ways to share basically the results of their crate digging and, you know, uh, and obsessive collecting and interest in these niche zones. Like you said, you know, some of the very first like cosmic, cosmic kind of music that I, that I would listen to that I ever listened to was like my uncle had tangerine dream stuff. And I think I remember that album Phaedra and listening to it a bunch. And then many years later, I started working in a record store and listening to uh, more stuff kind of in that, you know, German cosmic tradition. At the same time, as a kid, I remember hearing New Age stuff or stuff that would get classified as New Age and being really drawn to it. And then sort of realizing or putting it together in sort of the record collector lexicon that somehow these were very different things and that new age was bad you know or uh right or cheesy and this more experimental synth stuff was uh was good and had a cool intent that distinction is one that pauline was also aware of right because she didn't love n new age as a as a bag right that she was sort of put into very much so she was vocal against kind of the uh, commodification of, of music as new age it's funny because there was an element of like what was cool and what wasn't and it started to change at that time so stuff that would get classified as new age um obviously i remember reading that great paper that uh that douglas mcgowan did and really starting to wrap my head around the notion that a lot of what got dismissed as new age music was very interesting electronic music or very interesting spiritual music, um, you know, and that it was easy to draw the line between, say, spiritual jazz and some stuff that gets classified as new age or electronic stuff and what would get classified as new age. But her sense, it's funny because in that interview that Pauline gave for Aquarium Drunkard, I was struck by how here is this 
Reiki healer who makes this interdimensional, beautiful synth music that feels so evocative. And she even would use the term channeled sometimes to describe how it arrived to her. But then what was so interesting about that interview she gave was there was this sort of like common sense side to her and this sort of no BS side. And oftentimes you'll talk with these people who are making this sort of experimental music and they'll speak in really oblique metaphors and very distant spacey language. And that's great, right? But it didn't seem like that was necessarily the case with her. She seemed like the most down to earth uh, interdimensional music maker that I've read in a long time. Was that what it was like talking with her? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good summation. A a, a down to earth uh, (laughs) cosmic music maker. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because it feels like a, like a, like a binary or a dichotomy, but I think it's just more like a kind of interesting paradox when it comes to her work. Yeah. Well, like you said, um, and which she was quite, vocal and cantankerous sometimes and downright ornery at others. Um, she did not contend well with bullshit and she had a really strong bullshit meter. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, the woo woo around, uh, new age, uh, music and the new age, uh, especially like just the commodification, it just irked her. And she, was looking for an honesty and really she was looking for uh people and sources that she could trust yeah, um, yeah. that was a, a big a big part of it i think was just her um you know her self-reliance as a blind um uh, or a seeing impaired um person and having made her way through the world as she did up to that up to the point that she she passed away um in a very specific kind of uh mode um it's it, it created a uh you know just like she she chose she had to choose wisely uh who she um accepted into her uh trust circle right so i i think that 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 bullshit meter um was kind of always on <laughs> um and not that it uh, dissuaded her from making new, uh, friends, but she made friends in a slower, um, kind of at a slower pace. Uh, at the same time, she was a Reiki healer, uh, and she was doing all this, this work remotely. So she, she had clients, uh, all, all presumably all over the world. I, I didn't really know her client base. So she did have to kind of put on a bit of a, um, you know, just uh, not a bit of a show, but she she had to be be friendly uh, to her client base, <laughs> you know, to, re- yeah. to retain to re- to retain that base. So uh, she also knew she knew which kind of costumes to wear uh, and when to wear them. So um, you know, she she was she was very uh, aware. Um, in that sense. Yeah, as one has to be to navigate the world, especially in given some of the complications that you mentioned, right? And it's funny because, you know, when we think about, uh, 
let's say, woo-woo topics or the sort of out there thing, especially when it comes to musicians, it's like so easy to imagine that they exist in some state where they're just always in touch with the divine and, you know, manifesting the vibrations of the universe. But then you have to like always remind yourself that like, no, people just have to eat too. You know what I mean? They have to pay their bills. They have to like, no matter who who you are. And so that she was able to figure out her way of doing that. I think it speaks similarly to the way she was able to figure out methods to be creative and that she was able to utilize early synthesizers to create this vast dynamic world, but totally on her own terms, right? She didn't often, I mean, she, she, she would essentially spontaneously create, is that how it worked in your, in your understanding? Mostly like recording and, and sort of composing simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. She, uh, later on, in our relationship, you know, uh, I, I think I finally got to like the, the core of her composition process and she composed visually. Um, and this was kind of a process contained in her, in her mind, uh, where she would see the, the piece, um, and not even learn it, but right kind of improvise it on the spot in a uh and and record this this uh improvisation uh or this impro improvisation of this visual score and she made note that once this uh once the, the performance left her uh when, once it was performed it never came back mm. uh which i always thought was very interesting because you know, she she composed this visual score, but um, I guess there was just kind of this uh, this this release that um, at least perhaps because it, or it was just a part of her process, she um, didn't return to. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a very interesting um, kind of process. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about what you said about sort of her 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 bs meter after you discover her music online and you go down the rabbit hole and get familiar with what she had created in the early 80s you went down the the path of trying to get in touch with her to put it out but it took it took a while right i i mean at the you don't have to reveal anything too personal but i mean when you talk about her being careful who she let into her circle or who she trusted. Did you get the sense that you needed to earn her trust uh, over time in order to, to make this happen? Oh yeah. I got that sense over about seven years. Wow. Of, uh, yeah. Of, of bothering her. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I originally reached out to her in maybe like 2010 and um, yeah, it, it was a long um curve and it was a wonderful experience really kind of truly getting to know someone and becoming friends ostensibly before becoming uh people that worked together sure. um and yeah it was uh you know essentially paula was not like 
at all interested in her past. Um, I don't think she would, I don't think she was dismissive. I just think she was so future uh, focused that some guy calling from New York about some rec- some music that she made, you know, 30 years ago, uh, just was like, not, you know, like a priority whatsoever. Um, so I, d- I don't think the the concept just, I don't think it just, I don't think it resonated for her. Uh, and I kind of, at some point, you know, two, two years and two or three years into like our, uh, long distance, uh, communication, which all happened via phone because Paula didn't use the computer. So right. these were, these were just phone calls, um, that, that I would kind of drop when inspired or when I thought of her, you know, which was kind of a nice way to approach things like, yeah. How, how's Paula doing? I should just call. Um, and then by virtue of that, the conversations just kind of became like, yeah, how, how are you doing? Like what's, what's happening in San Francisco? Like what, you know, like how, how was your day? Yeah, uh, yeah. And Paula, you know, Paula loves talking on the phone. Uh, so she, that's the way, that's the on. way that she would do her, her Reiki readings as well. Right. That was all via phone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, she, it, it really was her, her channel. It was her, her, um, channel to the outside world. Um, she lived in the same studio apartment in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco for 40 years. And, uh, it was a very humble, um, aesthetic kind of setting, um, that, you know, she, uh, made all this incredible, um, uh, outer limit music from, um, but also lived with two husbands and Liz, many, many lizards. And, um, you know, she was, she was very mobile and would, would get out. And again, her, her sense of independence would allowed her through the streets of the Tenderloin in the seventies and eighties and nineties when it was a very rough place. Um, but she felt comfortable, confident in, uh, walking, those streets doing her errands. Um, so she wasn't, I guess what I'm trying to say is that she wasn't totally cut off, but, um, you know, uh, the, the phone was just like this, this real mechanism. And that's how we, we formed our, that's how I formed my, my bond of trust with her was just kind of like checking in and being, being there, you know? Um, and eventually she, you know, uh, I, I think I'd kind of almost totally just given up on the concept of ever working with her on, a, on a, on a, on a project. Um, and was, you know, maybe had even like taken a little break from, from checking in from, with her, but do you remember calling her, her one day and just being like, how's it going Paula? And she was like, do you still want to do that? Do you still want to release all that old music? And it was kind of like, Oh, okay. We we're here now. It's 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 so funny. Uh, sometimes in the morning when I'm taking a shower, I'll read my like the bottle of Doctor Bronner's. I use that soap, and obviously that's a pretty heady uh, reading in the early morning. But I was just there's a part on the Doctor Bronner's bottle that says like you know if 
if you chase what you love, it will run away. But if if you let it be, it'll come to you or whatever. And I think in some ways that's so funny that it worked out that way with the music. That it was only almost after you had given up on the idea of doing it that it came time to make it happen. It's funny. I'm sure so many people, when they're imagining how this situation works, right, tracking down an artist and helping them share their music, that that they imagine you call somebody up and they're like, yeah, let's do it. We've just been waiting, you know, to be uh, recognized. But oftentimes artists have tons of stuff that they're carrying along with the, with music, you know, baggage and emotional stuff. And then also, as you alluded to, because her compositional process was so on, on the, on the fly and because she distributed and self-released her stuff and kind of did it all herself, that not caring so much about the past even extended to properly keeping an archive, right? Was that a part of her concern initially that like this stuff wasn't all put together and that at the time when you guys first started getting her music back out, the masters weren't uh, in hand, right? You had to, you had to secondary source everything. Yeah, exactly. We were lucky enough when we put together the compilation Transmillennium music in 2017 to find some master sources um or actually like stereo uh mixes for the first album yeah and then the rest of it we kind of had to compile from uh lp sources from the cassettes that she released and from the four cassettes she released in 1988 because paula yeah exactly like you said she had no idea where um the the masters or the multi-track reels were and we just had to i just had to take her word for it and i did not want to wait any longer to share her music so right there was yeah so there was a little bit of like a you know compromise in uh with that compilation um because of of the, the sources um and then after we released that compilation um peter buffett who worked on those first three records with with Paula, uh, Transmillennial Consort, uh, Plot Zero, and Spectra, um, got in touch with us because I'd been in touch with him while making while putting the compilation together, just to see um, if he had any sort of uh, you know trail to, to to the sources. And sure enough, yeah, <laughs> much later uh, he was like, "I found some reels, and do you want to see them?" Of course we do uh sent them over and they were the multi-track reels for the first three records plus quite a bit uh, some other material uh recorded around that time bit of a eureka moment um that we were then able to kind of at that at that point the compilation to me was like i can justify this because you know i it feels, you know, we just need to put something out there that, that honors Paula's music. And instead of like going full throttle with full reissues of everything, it just, it felt right. But then we had, you know, the, 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 the sources and Paula's permission, especially like after having proven ourselves with the, the compilation and yeah. she was excited about, uh, about music again. And she was making new music again, which was, always kind of her uh essentially like her her what she she hung over us was like i will let you do the old music if you enable me to 
make new music. Uh, so that was that was always uh, her her ulterior ulterior motive. Um, so yeah, so we uh, she she did not have a, 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 an inventory uh, on paper or otherwise, um, which is also you know uh, speaks to the hundreds of cassettes that we found after she passed away uh, containing just an enormous amount of music um, that she'd just forgotten about from the era. I mean, you're somebody who works with artists a lot. Do you often find that there's a disconnect between the creative side and the, I don't know, maybe we could call it administrative side when it comes to uh, taking care of, of the work that one's made? Is that a common enough occurrence in your in your inst your like in your work. Oh my god, it's uh, it's it's the it's a common occurrence and it's the bane of my existence <laughs> sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, like the the job would be somewhat wouldn't be fun if if there wasn't this uh the 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 the, the chase right. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially when you are dealing with. Uh, artists that you know were recording on you know uh, tape or or in studios that they were just like not tracking their reels and it's been forty years you know or time can is, is not the best friend for uh, to, to 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 archives if they haven't been inventoried and right, you know right. especially like if if there hasn't been value placed on these archives and. Um, you know, someone to, uh, to, 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 to officiate the, the, the process like early on and, and, and place that value on, on, on archives, uh, yeah. you know, um, an artist may just be like, well, these, these are just some, you know, this is an unreleased record that I made in 1975 that like, I'll just, you know, stash it in the, the attic or something. Um, so yeah, I mean certainly encounter that uh a lot um and uh when you when you do encounter those those artists that are like uh that that, that have that organizational skill it's it's i don't know it's it, it's a it's quite a rarity Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Yeah, I think, you know, something that I feel is really calling to me about her story is the way that 
one of the things that I've become more and more interested in as this podcast goes on and as I talk with artists and people like yourself who help get their work out into the world is the the way music represents for so many a alternate way of experiencing time. And with a story like Pauline's, obviously time plays into it in a number of different ways. One, we're talking about a couple decades where she wasn't making music. And the fact that she got back into it really adds so much uplift to this story to me because like you guys were able to help facilitate her returning to active music making and it seems like she did that a lot in her final years is that is that is that fair a fair way to put it yeah yeah it is yeah yeah so you have that this this stretch of years where she wasn't actively working on synthesis and then was able to return to it and so you have that sense of time and like you said time plus an unorganized archive is bad news in terms of you know keeping track of what's what but then the other thing about it is she seemed to really be interested in using time as a way or using music as a way to sort of explore time and she even said in a it was a great interview that she did on the uh ephemeral podcast that you were also a part Mm of where she talked about how I think she she put it something like I spend more time in the far future and in the far past than I do uh, right now and uh, and I wonder when did that start to enter the picture for you in terms of your conversations with her when did you start to understand that that what she was after was sort of creating you know using music as a way to stretch or bend or alter one's perception of of time. And is that even a fair way to talk about what she's doing? I mean, it feels like it's implied, obviously, of course, by Trans Millennia Concert, which she was saying, it's like, this music is to escape time. And I just wonder, when did you start to kind of get into that temporal understanding of what it was that she was doing? Yeah, I think my understanding came from my own experience yeah, with the yeah. music, and it wasn't really instructive um, from 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 Paula. Uh, mm. She would <clears throat> kind of mention to me, like, you know, uh, that she always felt more comfortable um, or identified more with like an ancient being, and I remember sitting in her. Uh, in her studio uh one day and hearing horns blasting outside and she was like i'd like to picture that the the that whoever is blasting that that horn is a dinosaur sitting sitting in a car um and that there are just it's it's still it's a land of 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 dinosaurs out there and that that world seemed more interesting to her yeah Um, yeah you know like she felt more comfortable in this kind of imagined ancient place or i mean research as well you know she she did so much she was she she had a voracious appetite for audiobooks and just knew so much about you know whether it was the fall of rome or quantum physics she 
have covered a spectrum yeah. um, of, of interests. So I, th- I think, and I'm, sh- I'm sure within that kind of, with, within that, that, that listening and within her education, the, the concepts of, of, of time uh, was, was something that she, you know, um, she, she embraced and, and, and explored in her, her music, but she was, just a lot more pragmatic as a, as a, as a, as a friend and in a, in conversationally. Um, so, um, you know, like her, we would reckon the time in terms of like what is happening now with our, within our collaboration. And then there would be a lot of, you know, just current affairs, you know, like how, how is, a, a new political administration affecting Paula's world, you know. Um, so the the the, the cosmic uh, infinite version of time wasn't so much a part of, I guess, like her her uh, non performative uh, uh, side of her life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's also one of the reasons. I think why music ends up being a vehicle for timelessness or experiencing a sense of timelessness, which is how she would describe, you know, basically playing all night and it's morning before you know it. Anybody who's ever been creative or who's been gripped by the uh, obsessive, uh, you know, propulsion of a creative inspiration knows that feeling of hours seeming to pass by in a blink. Right. And so I find that, I find that she's able, I I find that, that part of what she's doing maybe is, is even kind of imagining time in these altered ways. And it's funny that you mentioned her, picturing the the horn outside as a dinosaur sitting in the car because on that same ephemeral podcast when she talked about her iguanas she talked about them as as dinosaurs and i thought to myself <laughs> like that sounds so f- fun and and fanciful and then you're just like no there's a pragmatic element to that too right like she's thinking she's thinking directly about what she's saying uh, she doesn't mean that as a joke she means they actually are dinosaurs in in an evolutionary sense, right? And so when we talk about deep time or deep listening or any of these sort of states or zones or whatever you want to call it, slipping into, it's fascinating to think about how that often was just seemingly a response that she was plugged into. She talks about how she liked to get the instruments to sort of play themselves, which is what so many people in that zone of creativity talk about doing creating systems where you know where she's she's part of the input chain essentially uh did she ever talk with you uh, about that stuff about her her love of sort of getting the machines to play off of themselves in a sense she kind of was a, a bit candid about especially or maybe just kind of had forgotten the, the processes of, of using um, the analog um, sure. synthesizers that kind of obviously like populate her early music. And she would honestly like kind of look back at that 
um, period of music making with some frustration. <laughs> um, I think the machine, she had such a unique relationship with those machines, with those synthesizers. Um, and that manifested in the, uh, in, in, in how unique her, her music was like, uh, but you know, she always felt a little frustrated, like by, um, just, you know, the, by, by the mechanics, um, sure. uh, it still, you know, when we were able to get her new, you know, so when we were able to get her, her, her new, uh, gear to work with, she wanted everything in, in, in one place. Um, and she wanted to, uh, just have the ease of, um, of, 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 uh, essentially like a workstation, a, a synthetic workstation. And that's what she made a lot of her, uh, contemporary music with. Um, but she did have a unique way of finding sound that would not be otherwise present to other people in, in, these machines yeah, um yeah. especially in this workstation like it was like uh i i worked on these compilations with uh uh, uh my my friend and co-worker john also bennett jab who's also a musician and when we heard the the, the, the new music that she was was making uh in the years leading up to her pa passing it just it 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 boggled our minds that she could um could find, could forage this, this information that from this, this workstation, it just, it, 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 it was so far removed from the presets or how other people we knew use right. the same kind of workstation. So yeah, in a sense, like, uh, I don't, I, I think she, you know, and she would probably maybe not agree with this, but she did have this, a channeling kind of uh, sensibility, um, to, to kind of answer your question about the, the flow, her, 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 um, her, her, uh, orchestrating that, that flow of, of the machines. I know she, she was very interested in, in figuring out like v verbally commanded, uh, generative music technologies. Were you guys able to line anything like that up uh i mean what kind of is does that technology exist to be able to just speak all of this stuff uh into uh into process oh man i'm sure she would have a blast with ai i think um, i think about that all the time how she, so i mean understandably people are freaked out about ai right and they're so like uh understandably worried that it's going to exacerbate current problems and make things infinitely worse but i also think the creative potentials are just so mind-blowing and when i was listening to her describe what she wanted it's like wow that's that's here essentially right yes and that's something that was obviously not here even you know two exactly three years, just a few years ago, ago. yeah exactly yeah yeah totally you know, she we we did have her uh, talk to some contemporary synthesizer makers while she was still here, and uh, and that was something she was always kind of advocating for. Um, and like I just, she was again kind of ahead of the 
a curve in, in, in some sense. Um, yeah. A, 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 the manufacturers obviously responded sympathetically and were like very happy to send like a lot of gear that she didn't use, uh, <laughs> which was super nice, but, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, she, she, she had her, her comfort zone and then she kind of had her aspirational zone for, for making music. Yeah. Yeah. She, in that great interview that I've alluded to a few times with Sadie, she was talking about music, uh, to quote, as an exploration of the space of an imagination. Anything you can imagine, anything you can visualize, encompass that into sound. And I thought that was such a cool way to talk about it. Because as you mentioned, of course, she she wasn't able to see, but visualization seems like that's a more, it's a broader term than... Uh, than one might think, especially in the context of her work. And so when you talk about her being able to like, it, 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 I mean, do you feel like in some sense, the fact that she hadn't been hung up on how she would have made things back then, uh, made her access to digital technology, all that, more embraceable. Do you know what I mean? The fact that she wasn't worried about, well, I used to do it this way. It's, it seems like given access to these new tools, she was able to just dive right in and start creating things almost without even needing to figure out how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think she wanted to move as far away from the, from past mecha- mechanisms as possible and, mm. and was looking for ease and was looking for, access and variety yeah. which you know like a, a profit um six can only do well can do a, a hell of a lot um especially with with paula uh piloting it but you know uh it still kind of had one one track you know right um, right so yeah i mean i think that she was able to uh embrace uh the technology is one thing that's um, kind of astounding because you know she had to learn a system uh she had a friend that was very gracious to uh read the instructions of for this workstation for her um so she had kind of like an audio book um that her her friend compiled so she she learned that way but then it was more it was beyond uh learning the technology it was like uh just this fluid kind of um uh you know a, a fluid application um of her imagination to to the to to this to this technology and yeah i i like that quote says i think it was an imagination that went very wide and was just kind of looking for various <laughs> cloud clouds to form into and and rain with uh with her beautiful vision yeah i thought it was really fascinating and i love how how much variety there is in this stuff the fact that you have the sort of more traditional celestial beautiful sounding stuff of transmillennia consort and specter has almost kind of like a sci-fi horror movie element to it you know uh and the fact that that you just like cruising through even the song titles and you start to get a sense of her playfulness. Uh, 
I'm thinking of organized confusion, right? You know, and I think that uh, I think that that's so cool, and it's interesting that she didn't feel like there was one zone she was trying to tap into. She was interested in uh, exploring a pretty wide swath of tones and sounds and moods, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, Spectre is like a, a good uh, base of her becoming very obsessed with um, <clears throat> Anne Rice books and yeah. wanting to create kind of like a vampiric um, score to, to, to an Anne Rice book. Um, but the record before was Plot Zero is her kind of anti-drug uh, record uh, or like pro-simulation <laughs> record um, because, you know, she, she kind of created this music in a very literal sense um, and entitled the songs like uh, Mushroom, Mushroom Trip and Free, free Basing. Yeah, um, right. As, you know, like as, as, as uh, 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 an alternate um, experience or maybe like an adjacent experience. I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so, but I, you know, uh, yeah. And she, she was quite literal in, in how she, you know, uh, titled her, her music and uh, you know, whether it was like tropical, tropical rainforest, you know, like, yes, I, I hear, I hear that. Yeah, domestic it's, peace. <laughs> exactly. Quiet joy. Um, absolutely. And all that's, and, but I love, I love that. And I love that you, you have an artist who can go from gossamer silk to blood celebrants, you know, because, um, because that's the other thing that I just got so much from her interview with Sadie would, was her, kind of like her willingness to say like I have to make the music that I want to make and that I'm interested in making you know and somebody might expect like you know hey people know you for this this kind of beautiful celestial sound they might not know what to make of of a kind of vampiric soundscape but it doesn't seem like that was something that she was worried about at all yeah and it really wasn't that far a stretch you know sure. like considering her what she was absorbing and uh, what she wanted, how she wanted to reflect that kind of yeah. that education. I wanted to I think she just, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I think she just wanted to cover a lot of ground. Yeah. And she was able to, uh, and I wanted to, to note that, early on, uh, when she's, she's living in San Francisco and, she would spend a lot of time listening to KPFA, right? The Hearts of Space radio program. I wanted to touch a little bit on that one because Stephen Hill's radio show, um, obviously such a long-running resource. Uh, did you ever talk, get a chance to speak with her about like how hearing space music on the radio, people like Claus Schultz, Eno, Vangelis, how that influenced what she wanted to make yeah she came from a classical listening background before um being introduced to any of that music so i think when she when hearts of space was 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 beamed to her when she when she picked it up um it wasn't like a huge leap from her 
listening habits sure. from our from our classical listening habits. Um, obviously, like any music is a little bit more not reductive, but like it's you know it's a, it's a, it's a different uh, track than than maybe the classical music that she was uh, listening listening to. But it definitely touched her like in a in in what I would imagine like a kind of emotional way or at least like inspired her to or maybe it affected her to 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 make music like i think she she probably heard it and was like i like classical music i'm hearing this music made with with synthesizers like can i do this right and she grew up um playing music um her her, her sister who is someone that i've become close with since her passing, um, you know, has recounted like Pauline, Paula playing her first accordion and, you know, like there being somewhat of a, a musical interest, but she never, you know, never sat in front of a piano. Uh, she sat first in front of a synthesizer. So I think that music was, you know, uh, was, was moved her in a way that was like also functional to getting her to to make her own music yeah yeah i remember many years ago i interviewed steve roach uh the ambient musician and he told me about how people broadcasting that stuff you know stephen hill hearts of space it just exposed so many people to these sounds uh i think his stuff started getting played on like kcrw too so you'd have people playing these long form space music compositions. And I just, maybe it's for me, it's, it's like, there's a romantic notion to that, but we called this show transmissions in part because like, we love the idea of that sound being beamed out across a distance. And so I, I think it's so fascinating and, and cool to imagine that she's hearing it and she's recognizing in it that she could do that, that that's not something that she would be prohibited from and basically sets up a synth rig that took over the entirety of the living room, right? And just starts creating this vast trove of stuff. Um, and then it's fascinating to me that she was able to, or that she that she put it down for a while. She put creating music away to focus on living and but then was able to return to it. So it's it's such an incredible story, top to bottom. I'm curious, her, her iguanas, when she passed away at the end of 2020, her lizards was Little Solstice and Miss Huff. Uh, is that, were those the two? Yeah, exactly. Where where did they end up going? Uh, and And do you know how they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I can give you a little update. Um, so uh, a very good friend of mine and someone that got to know Paula later, uh, Jeremy Harris, who um, runs a great studio in Stinson Beach called uh, Panoramic. And that's actually where we worked on um, mixing these, uh, on, on the mixes of this, this, this new set of music. Um, was Jeremy was instrumental after Paula passed away um, uh, because he was on the ground in San Francisco and um, the lizards, the iguanas were, were brought to an animal care shelter um, 
right away. Uh, but then Jerry was able to to take them like almost like within 24 hours of, of, of them being moved from the apartment. And they, uh, little solstice is living and thriving in Stinson beach, uh, now and, uh, lives at Jeremy's at the studio that Jeremy works at. Um, Miss Huff was the ripe young, quite old age of uh i think 30 years uh and passed away Whoa. i think um yeah these these iguanas live a very long time um so 30 years was yeah was was i guess young in in, in lizard wow. age but uh yeah uh, uh, I, I think the, the shock um unfortunately she, she 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 did pass away uh, but little solstice is, is thriving and uh is a is a, is a studio babe for, for for people to come and visit she was very much present when we were um mixing her her uh mother's music oh that's uh, beautiful yeah it was it was really special I, um yeah i have to imagine that it was maybe i don't you know it's always hard to uh, project yourself too much into an animal and project your experience, but certainly she would have been familiar familiar with the sounds, you know. So that's that's awesome to imagine. I think so too. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive of it. Well, Matt, it's been really great hanging out. I, as I mentioned, just so many things that you've helped get out into the world, from Bread Woman to through the freedom to spend stuff, the Ernest Hood stuff, all just mind-blowing some of my favorite stuff over these last couple of years mark renner so many i'm just a bunch of stuff just all popping into my head and i just wanted to thank you for your work and your efforts to get that music out into the world and share it with folks and thank you for taking this time to talk about pauline's sounds here with us on transmissions oh my absolute pleasure thank you so much as a uh, fan of this podcast and yeah, uh, I'm happy to have been here and yeah. appreciate, appreciate what you do too. Not to mention the Freakway stuff where you guys are tying, you know, oh, yeah. master That's... artists with younger artists who are following in their footsteps in some sense and all the great stuff that's come up getting the chance to talk with susan chiani and caitlin aurelia smith years back yeah awesome stuff and you've been responsible for helping so much mind expanding music get into my head and so uh from uh you know from all of us here at ad thanks for that and i appreciate you taking the time likewise thank you for the time jason and yeah, thank you for the support. Hopefully we can continue expanding minds together. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, man. Thanks so much for listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. As I mentioned, this will be our last episode of the season, but never fear. We'll be back early in the new year with more strange conversations for what I presume will continue to be very strange times. We hope you've enjoyed this run of shows. Aquarium Drunkard's year in review list is underway. We'll be sharing it soon, so keep your eyes glued to the site. If you're looking to get in touch in the break, you can find me on social media at Jason P. Woodbury. I'm on most of the services, I think. Uh, So just look for me, and I'm sure you'll be able to turn me up. 
one place or the other. I produce, host, and write transmissions. Andrew Horton is our editor, and art for this episode was created by Ian Everett. Music for the show comes from the catalog of Frank Mastin. Find more from him at mastin.bandcamp.com. Our show's executive producer is Justin Gage. Don't miss his weekly radio program, the long-running, long-cherished Aquarium Drunkard Show, which airs at 7 p.m. California time each and every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions. I know there are a million and a half podcasts out there, all of them vying for your attention. So the fact that you've chosen to be here and tune in to this show means an awful lot to me. We hope that you have enjoyed it. If you dig the show and you want to help out, leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to the podcast or simply email a link to someone who you think might enjoy our show. Uh, Your support means a whole bunch. And if you want to take it a step further, you can find Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. And we are a patron-funded project. So by chipping in over there, you can keep Aquarium Drunkard humming along, keep those servers full of uh, files and things for you to check out. Find more radio programs, interviews, mixtape, landing app sessions, so many things. You can find it all over at Aquarium Drunkard. Uh, Be well in the meantime. Thanks so much for being a part of Transmissions. This season of the show is concluded.